You must be drummed out of ufology immediately. <laughs> This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of Benall of America Audio. It is October 14th, 2006. This week, we conclude our lengthy marathon conversation with Paul Kimball of Red Star Films and the blog The Other Side of Truth, where we discuss a host of various aspects of the UFO phenomenon and ufology. We're going to be discussing some more of the problems of ufology today, the content effect, how the Condon Report chilled mainstream interest in the UFO phenomenon. We're going to talk about how to regenerate that mainstream interest, why Paul doesn't see a grand conspiracy behind the UFO enigma, ufology on the internet, and why more young people aren't gravitating towards solving the riddle that is the UFO. Plus, of course, tons more, including a preview of Paul's two new films, Fields of Fear, and Best Evidence Top 10 UFO Cases. We're going to be covering all that and much, much more in this week's installment. If you're unfamiliar with Paul Kimball, check out Part 1 of 2, where we discuss his background, how he got into documentary filmmaking, and some of his early UFO films. But if you just want to skip to Part 2, here's a little bit of background on Paul Kimball. Paul graduated from Acadia University in 1989 with an honors degree in history and political science, and in 1992 from Dalhousie Law School with an LLB. He won multiple scholarships and awards, including the University Medal in History at both Acadia University and the University of Dundee, as well as the CLB Award at Dalhousie Law School. After working for the Nova Scotia Film Development Corporation and Salter Street Films, and as a consultant on film and television to the governments of Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland, Paul founded Red Star Films Limited in 1999. His work as a producer and director since includes documentaries for networks including CBC, Vision, Bravo, SCN, and Space, the Imagination Station, as well as the television series The Classical Now. Paul is a member of the Nova Scotia Barrister Society and the Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. He served as president of the Nova Scotia Film and Television Producers Association from 2002 to 2004 and is currently a member of the Film Advisory Committee for the province of Nova Scotia. His website is redstarfilms.blogspot.com, known to those in the know as The Other Side of Truth. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on August 12, 2006. Paul Kimball, Part 2 of 2, on Banal of America Audio, Season 2. I think the serious study of the UFO phenomenon is going to have to take place in another form. It's going to be a form that's probably going to include some people who are in ufology now, guys like Kevin Randall, but they're going to have to, if you really wanted to move it forward, Tim, you, you would sort of, in some sense, have to disassociate yourself with a lot of these elements in ufology and and move into another another realm and not worry about whether the believers call you a skeptic monkey or a, a debunker or whatever, just yeah. ignore them and start trying to deal with science and historians and get them interested. You say that for, in order for a serious study of UFO phenomenon to uh, 
to be done, it needs to sort of disassociate itself from that. How, do you think that's even possible? And how do you think that would even happen? No, I don't think it's completely possible. And, you know, in my previous answer, maybe I went, I don't, sometimes I know I can come across as sounding strident and um, a little, you know, it rubs people the wrong way sometimes. And I want to make it very clear and there will be people, I know who they are, who won't believe me, <laughs> or who will say, I'm now damning with faint praise. I've been on Coast to Coast. I'd like to go back on Coast to Coast. I'm now a Coast to Coast Streamlink member. You know, I participate in the message boards and stuff. It's fun. And it's good. It's a good conversation to have. But are, you know, those people, and I think most of them recognize, are not out there doing real research. They're people who are interested in the subject. That's fine. You need people who are interested in the subject. If a historian goes out and writes a book about World War II and has researched it, gone through the archives, talked to witnesses, whatever, most people don't or can't or won't do that. That's fine. They have real lives. They have real jobs. They're the ones who buy the books. Here's the problem in ufology. I don't think ufology has differentiated between the people who write the books, if you will, and the people who buy them. Yeah. I think the people who buy the books... Are believe that they're somehow equal to the people who are writing them. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for equality of opportunity, but I'm not for equality of situation. Yeah. So if you want to go out and do your own research and write your own book, you can make yourself into a UFO researcher. And then you open yourself up to the inevitable criticism or the inevitable um, applause that will come from that. You do a good job, people will say, great job. You do a bad job, people will criticize you. When people criticize you, don't take it personally. Unless they say you're you're a bleeping idiot, okay, that you can take personally. But if they just criticize your methodology or your conclusions, that's not personal. You have to expect that if you're going to go out there. So when the National Post reporter criticized my film as visually boring, I didn't jump up and down and go, "Damn you, damn you all to hell, you horrible person, you hate me." I said, "Hmm, does any of this make sense?" Well, I agree with some of it. I will now sort of bring that into how I do future films. He yeah. raised a couple of good points. I should consider that. I didn't take it personally because I've never met the guy. So how could it be personal? And I'm sure he didn't mean it personally. So, but the, pro the fundamental problem is too many uh, cooks, not enough people eating. And the people, the people who are eating think that they're all cooks. Yeah. And yet they've never actually done any research. There are so many people out there who claim to be UFO researchers um, who have no idea what, you are, what research really is. Here, here's a clue. Reading on Wikipedia, not research. <laughs> um, with no offense to Banal of America or any of its contributors, writing an opinion column, not research. It's opinion. That's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Some are worth more than others, depending on the research that backs it up. Great. Absolutely. Going through archives, that's research. Interviewing witnesses or people who know something, that's research. Doing that kind of legwork, that's research. That's why Stan Friedman and Dick Hall and Kevin Randall and Brad Sparks, who spent years and years and years doing that kind of stuff, their opinions are worth more than the opinions of people who haven't done that because they've actually done the research. Now, you can still disagree with their opinions, um, but at least you have to respect the research that they've done. So when people, what really chuffs me sometimes because it's insulting, is when people say, I'm a UFO researcher. Well, first of all, what does that mean? Like, have you researched everything, every single case? <laughs> no. You're, you are a Roswell researcher because that's 
say your primary area of research has been Roswell. Yeah. And you you have an interest in UFOs overall, but Roswell's the case you focus on. It's like saying you're a military historian. Well, okay, fine. But if your primary focus is on uh, World War II, then perhaps your opinions on the Peloponnesian War that you've never read about or looked at, yeah. maybe that's not the guy you want to get on television to talk about the Peloponnesian War. Yeah. Fine. So you can have a general interest in the entire subject, and you can be a researcher in particular aspects of it. And there's so much to the subject that to call somebody a UFO researcher, I just don't know how you can do that because it's like being a doctor. You're, you're the equivalent of a general practitioner. Yeah, you know a bit about everything, but if I want open-heart surgery, I'll go find an open-heart surgeon. Yeah. You know. So um, there you go. And do you think uh, part of the problem is that there's no, no uh, like, overarching sort of organization to ufology um, in general? It's like... It sort of grew up spontaneously out of out of the phenomenon in the sky, and then and then it, it, like you said, it sort of grew up as a social phenomenon. Uh, do you think that's part of the problem that there's no overriding like organization uh, to provide that sort of peer review? There used to be. In fact, ufology grew up largely because of NICAP and APRO, two different organizations. Mm -hmm. um, in the 1950s and carried on through the 60s, and in APRO's case, I think into the 70s, maybe even the early 80s. Kevin Randall used to be an investigator for APRO. He investigated cattle mutilations for them, for instance. Um, Dick Hall was with NICAP. Obviously, it was Donald Kehoe's baby, but there were a lot of other people who were involved with it. Yeah. In those days, for whatever flaws those organizations might have had, and they did have them, every organization does, at least you could go and say, look, NICAP has a staff, it has resources, however small they might be. You know, there's that's a group we can look at as the central focus of research. Now, you can have more than one group, absolutely, mm -hmm. and and they did. Others came up. QFOS, which Hynek founded. Uh, FUFOR, uh, Fund for UFO Research, was another one, all of which had slightly different mandates to one degree or another, but all of which did good work. How many of those are still functioning today? Well, QFOS hangs on by the skin of its teeth, I think. Uh, NICAP is no more. APRO is no more. Um, I think the Fund for UFO Research is still extant to the extent that it exists, but what work they actually do or um, research they fund is either minimal or non-existent, I think. Mm -hmm. And so that, and MUFON is, of course, the other big one. And MUFON, unlike maybe the other four, is more of a believers group in the sense that you know, MUFON claims to have all these res field researchers who engage in scientific research. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you should ask yourself, what, what, what exactly did they get by way of training? You know, and if you actually look at the training that MUFON gives, it's better than nothing in one way, but it's worse than nothing in another. <laughs> because there, there's nothing maybe worse than somebody who thinks they're an expert because they have a little bit of training. Uh, as opposed to having a whole bunch of people who know that they do, they're not experts because they have no training, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So, to answer your question, though, absolutely, you need an organization. One would be great, you know, United Nations of UFO Research. Yeah. But you can have more than one scientific research even within particular disciplines, like, say, um, the research into AIDS, for instance, trying to find a vaccine. Different groups are working on it. But you can generally look at broad overarching groups. Um, take the law, for instance. In Nova Scotia, I'm a member of the Nova Scotia Barrister Society. That regulates the ethics, the behavior of all lawyers, 
practicing and non-practicing in Nova Scotia. There's a, a handbook. Uh, I wrote this once, and somebody said, "Well, oh, lawyers." <laughs> well, I'm sorry, folks. Again, you you indicate your ignorance. In this case, um, this person, their their overwhelming ignorance and their own prejudices about what they're talking about. You know, lawyers are bound by a code of ethics. If you breach those code of ethics, you can get into serious trouble. Mm-hmm. And that sort of governs, and within the profession, lawyers can go off and do criminal law, family law, whatever. And yeah. each area of law has its own committees and stuff that look after it. So in theory, you could have an overarching group. Call it the um, World UFO Research Organization or whatever, mm-hmm. under which you could have a Roswell subcommittee. You could have uh, an alien abduction subcommittee if you want, yeah. if there were enough people who believed that that was something worth taking seriously, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you would have concepts like peer review. You would have con- you would also have one group that the media could come to, and you could send out a directed message. Ufologists should ask themselves, why has SETI, which they often like to criticize, been far more successful at capturing the public's imagination capturing dollars, both from government and the private sector, and just generally being more acceptable than ufology, because it's SETI. You know, they have an organization. They have one or two spokespeople that go out. Seth Shostak is one, sometimes Jill Tarter, sometimes Frank Drake, but primarily Shostak Mm -hmm. goes out. Those are the guys that speak for SETI, even though SETI, as Seth often will point out, is this very um, loose organization. They're, you know, it's not like uh, some sort of rigid uh, uh, fascist kind of group where everybody, you know, you worker drones, you, you, you will do this. Yeah. I mean, they're scientists, for heaven's sake. Put 10 scientists in a room and try and get them to agree on how to do anything. Eh, it's like economists. Yeah. Um, but SETI has captured the public imagination because just because SETI exists. When the media want to comment on extraterrestrial life, they go to SETI. They, they call Seth Shostak. You're the guys with the telescopes, right? We know who to call. You've got a number. Yeah. What do you, who do you call for ufology? Say there's a sighting. Well, if you're in Fredericton, New Brunswick, you might call Stan because he's your local guy. Mm-hmm. But And you'll probably get a reasonably intelligent answer because Stan's a reasonably intelligent guy. If you're in um, Great Falls, Montana, I think Great Falls is in Montana, uh, or wherever, Kansas City, Missouri, there you go. If you're in Kansas City, Missouri, who do you call? The center of America. Well, I mean, you can go east, north, west, south. Well, if you look on the Internet, you might get Stan or Kevin or Dick Hall even. Or, you know, you might get Stephen Greer. Might be the first name you see, and so you call Dr. Greer for a comment. There, There's no uniformity of message. Um, and I'm not talking about everybody agreeing with everything, some sort of rigid no, I know you mind mean. speak. But everybody singing at least from the same pew, everybody accepting a certain methodology, everybody accepting that there will be certain spokespeople for this group. That is how you move forward. That's how you get yourself wedged into the mainstream media and into the mainstream scientific discourse for different reasons. If you don't have that, then you are what ufology is today. Uh, A lot of people, many of whom have fairly large egos, you know, their egos are writing checks that their talent just can't cash, um, frankly, uh, arguing over the most minute points of detail that nobody else gives a rat's ass about, as opposed to thinking in the big picture. Mm -hmm. Ufology is, is one of those sort of endeavors of study that is constantly undermined by people not seeing the forest because they're bumping into trees. And those trees are usually cases or 
parts of cases, as in Roswell, now arguing about the whether Marcel brought the wreckage home. Mm-hmm. Boink, there, that's a tree, you know, that yeah. you just ran into. And meanwhile, you're in this giant forest of UFOs are interesting, they should be taken seriously, but we're off arguing about whether an 11-year-old kid saw wreckage almost 60 years ago. You know, how does that move the serious study of the UFO phenomenon forward? I don't think it does, and yet all of the, a lot of these people on UFO updates do, and they're the ones... You know, that by and large are comprise ufology today. So good for them. They can continue their never-ending argument amongst themselves. It just doesn't accomplish anything. And if you don't believe me, if you think, whoa, Kimball's some horrible debunker, here's two things for you to chew on. One, I want the serious study of of UFO phenomenon to move forward. I've always advocated that as long as I've been, you know, in the short time I've been in studying UFOs. That's what I'm advocating. My films are designed to do that. My writings are designed to do that. Even if I debunk a case, say, like Aztec, it's so that you can get Aztec out of the way and go look at the good cases. Yeah. When I'm on Coast to Coast, I don't talk about Aztec. I talk about RB-47. You know, I will refer to the good cases and tell people to go look at those. I want people to take the phenomenon seriously, whatever it might be. So remember that. Um, and the second thing I suppose to remember is that I'm right. <laughs> and if you think I'm wrong, then ask yourself, where has the serious study of UFOs got in the last 60 years, say from 1947? Where is it today? Where was it in the 50s? Has it moved forward in any way, shape, or form? Ask yourself that question. If you think it has, that's good for you. But I don't think you seriously <laughs> considered the question or looked at the evidence because UFOs were more into the... Um, there were more scientists like Jim McDonald and Alan Hynek taking it seriously 20, 30, 40 years ago. The mainstream media took it more seriously 40 years ago. You can look at the articles in old magazines. Yes, there were some debunking articles, but magazines like U.S. News and World Report would publish serious articles on the UFO phenomena. What do you think happened that caused this uh, this turning away from soft scientists and, and mainstream coverage and serious... Uh... Two things. Um, probably more than two, but... I'll, I'll focus on two. Okay. One, without doubt, is the Condon Report in the late 1960s. I call it, I did a blog column, I called it the Condon Effect. Mm-hmm. The Condon Report, when it came out, a terribly flawed report written by a guy, Edward Condon, who was biased from the get-go. How science should not be done. Edward Condon was a great scientist, made a lot of very solid contributions to scientific knowledge in the 20th century. Unfortunately, if you're into UFOs, all that you'll ever remember Ed Ed Condon for was making a horrible contribution to the serious scientific study of the UFO phenomenon. Didn't take it seriously, had preconceived notions about what the answers were, and ignored his own evidence. If you read the Condon report, what he wrote, and compare it to the evidence that exists, you'd think, wait a second now, are these two different studies? Because the Condon evidence showed that there was still a significant body of cases that could not be explained. Now, maybe a lot of them could be explained with more investigation. I don't know. But to just conclude from everything that Condon had in front of him, well, there's nothing really to the UFO phenomenon, and it's not worthy of further serious scientific study, waste of time, just completely a bogus conclusion. But it's also one that science took to heart and that the military took to heart, and that everybody, the media took to heart and said, well, here, this is a serious scientific study with a serious scientist, which Condon was, who had serious people working for him, and the conclusion is, 
nothing to it. Yeah. Well, why should we look at it then? And I think that that's what happened. And you, by the way, you can look, for instance, in Canada, I pointed this out. I think I'm probably the only person, you want to talk about research, here's research. Go, I'm the only person that I know of that, and maybe there are others, but none that I, I've seen in public, who went through the entire record of Hansard, the House of Commons reports, mm -hmm. all the debates and everything, from the late 1940s right up to the modern day today, to see what references there were to UFOs and other sort of ancillary topics. Yeah. Up until the late 1960s, until the Condon Report, I wouldn't say it was an overwhelming subject. Things like defense of the realm and taxes and social policy were obviously more important. But it was a subject that was often brought up in the House of Commons, especially in late 60s with the Michalik case, um, which, you know, I don't want to get into it. So check it out on the web, though. Yeah. Um, but there were a future governor general of Canada, who is the sort of head of state of Canada, the equivalent of the president in the United States, at least that half of his, his function of being head of state, has no real power, but it's still, a, you know, a significant position, represents the queen here, Ed Schreier. At the time, Schreier was a new Democratic member of parliament in in Canada. He quickly, almost immediately after the Michelle case, left parliament to become premier, leader of the new Democratic Party in Manitoba, and then premier of Manitoba, the equivalent of a governor, for your American listeners, for, I think, eight or nine years, and then became... Canada's, I think he was the youngest governor general in Canada's history, or one of the two or three youngest. The point being, Schreier, serious politician, you know, like a real serious politician, not some kooky backbencher maybe who had some spare time in his hands. Yeah. There were other politicians who took it seriously, too. They would ask questions in the House of Commons of people like the Minister of Defense, the Minister of Transport, um, about particular UFO cases or maybe even the UFO phenomenon in general. Mm -hmm. All of that stopped pretty much. You can you can draw a direct link between the Condon report and that coming to an end. Yeah. After the late 1960s, there's only been one question that I could find ever asked in the House of Commons in Canada about UFOs. I was asked in the mid 1970s by somebody who said, "Did we, meaning you, the government, give I think it was about six thousand dollars to so and so to conduct a study into the UFO phenomenon when?" There's already been a serious American scientific study, i.e. the Condon Report, although he didn't name it, yeah. that has shown that this is all pretty much bunkum. To which the government responded, yes, we gave $6,000 to the Canadian Arts Council or whatever to this guy to conduct a historical study of UFOs in Canada. Excuse me. Which Sorry. is, you know, basically just to view it historically, and government gives out that kind of money all the time. Yeah. And the purpose of the question was to sort of, as they always do, try and make the government look silly for spending money on silly things. Yeah. So it was a political question. But that's it. There hasn't been a question on UFOs since. That's not because of some great overarching conspiracy where everybody who goes to the House of Commons is immediately told by CSIS, um, our CIA, you must not talk about this. This is Majestic 12 clearance level, blah, blah, blah. Or we'll kill you. It's it's simply because of the Condon Report and the effect that has come from that ever since. Turning point in ufological history. However, I said there were two things, Tim. Mm -hmm. That's one. The other thing is how ufology dealt with it. Yeah. And what they should have done is they should have said, you know what? We respect Dr. Condon's opinion, but it's only an opinion. What we'd rather do is look at the data. Here it is. This is the data that Dr. Condon didn't reference, or perhaps his conclusion was this, but we're going to tell you this conclusion over here. The same thing, picture what happened with the seeing is believing documentary, because the same thing happened by and large with the Condon report. Yeah. Um, when seeing is believing came out, 
nobody, by and large, looked at the good stuff, which was more or less the first hour. Yeah. They focused on Stan Friedman being called a Roswell promoter, which I admit, you know, not good. Shouldn't yeah, that have was used lousy. Choice of words. Although, I think Stan is a Roswell promoter in the sense that he promotes the Roswell case. I'm not sure that's the sense that um, Jennings in the documentary meant it, but, you know, Stan is a Roswell promoter. Um, I'm a promoter of the RB47 case. There you go. <laughs> but the reaction was way over the top. Instead of trying to frame the debate and say, A, we just had a major network in front of millions of people put on a UFO special that, yes, debunked alien abductions in Roswell, but those are incredibly controversial things even within ufology. Yeah. The first hour made the case that the UFO phenomenon should be taken seriously. There's something to it. And the final speaker, Michio Kaku, one of our foremost scientists today, said, well, you know, UFOs, I don't know, but we should keep an open mind. Instead of focusing on the good stuff, ufology just got all aggrieved and their egos got kerfuffled and they went, yeah. that's just the forest trees. You know, they miss the big picture because they're so obsessed with the little things. Same thing, by and large, I think happened with the Condon report. They didn't frame the response to it very well. And then by the time things maybe, you know, started getting rolling again, it was Roswell. And you moved into crashed alien spacecraft and alien abductions, the two things that the Jennings special took some shots at. Mm -hmm. And those are the two things that still remain incredibly controversial, even within ufology. Yeah. And so if that's what you tie your horse to, which ufology for 25 years now, has more or less done alien abductions, Roswell, or Roswell slash crashed flying saucers. Yeah. Then you've taken a giant step away from A, B, C, D, E. Remember when I referenced those are the yep. five things we can prove, mm -hmm. and those are all the other letters are the ones we can't? You should have stuck with the five things you can prove and used those to argue against Condon and the people that would support Condon and have a real debate. Instead, what ufology did, and I don't think it's a conscious decision, it just happened, yeah. is they went with, you know, F through Z, the things that you couldn't prove or the things that are absolutely false. And that combination of the Condon Report and then where ufology went after that, I think has been what's led it to where it is today, which is on the fringe of the fringe, not taken seriously uh, by science, not taken really seriously by most people in the media, um, and I think, you know, ufologists will often trot out public opinion polls that will say, well, you know, 62% or whatever people believe that maybe UFOs are visiting Earth, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, public opinion polls, so what? At one point in time, the majority of American people thought President Bush was a good president. Now they don't. Yeah. If things work out in a year, it'll flip back, and George Bush might be the greatest thing since sliced cheese if magically everything solves itself. Public opinion polls are not the way to measure the, you know, how your field is doing. Yeah. Um, the way to measure how your field is doing is whether you're actually doing good work. To do good work, you need good people. To get good people, by which I mean scientists, historians, and more than just one or two. Brad Sparks once said to me, if you wanted to make a real dent in solving the UFO problem, you would need 100 Nobel-caliber scientists. Huh, good luck. Exactly. You're not going to get them today. He said, we don't even have one. But, you know, maybe the best you could hope for is a dozen or something like that. But you, to solve a real problem, you need resources, which means money. Nobody's going to give money to a field where it's confused with, you know, sort of the wacky fringe. Yeah. You need talented people. Ufology has a few now. But you need more, and you need people who I'd be the first to admit. 
somebody came along to me and said, you know what, Paul, you're a bright guy, but you're not the guy to solve the UFO problem. And I certainly don't think I am. I'd go, you know what, you're right. I'm not. At the moment, all I can do is some historical research and offer opinions on other things. That's basically what all of us can do. What we need are you guys. We want you guys to come over here and work on this problem. But the problem, Tim, is the way ufology is structured, it's not going to happen. Because if those people come in and they say A, B, C, D, and E are provable, let's work from that, they get attacked yeah. publicly, smeared publicly as debunkers, as agents of the government, as misinformation, disinformation agents, ridiculed, not by guys like Kevin Randall, but by the fringers. Yeah. And who needs that? They look at it. I've talked to some people that I think could make a real contribution to the UFO, study of the UFO phenomenon, and they say, Paul, you've basically got a website devoted to making you look like um, Hitler. <laughs> you know, <laughs> why would we want to subject ourselves to that? Yeah. And I go, well, maybe I have thicker skin than most, but I certainly understand where they're coming from. And But that's what people within ufology do, not the good ones, but the fringers. They they, they ignore the evidence. They attack you personally. And as, as soon as you disagree with them, they are not people with whom you can have a reasonable, rational conversation. And that is what real researchers want to do. They need to do. Yeah. You have to have a reasoned, rational conversation where people can agree to disagree without calling each other um, Christo-fascists or, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever else you want to call them. And so that kind of smear tactic is endemic in ufology amongst a certain group. By the way, debunkers like Phil Class have done it too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just the believers. They're two sides of the same coin. They're like Nazis and communists. Yeah. It's a circle. And at some point, the Nazis met the communists, and they're both evil and bad. Well, ditto. The true debunkers, the ones who just debunk for the sake of debunking, and the true believers, and I think there are more of the believers than the debunkers, but whatever. Yeah. They're both the same. They just will never recognize it, but they're the same type of people. Between that is the great center of skeptical people with open minds who, who really want to look and try and find the truth and disagree about particulars. But to get real serious people into that, you've just got to completely divorce yourself both from the debunkers and from the true believers. And that's the problem with ufology. It'll never happen. Because to do that, you'd have to actually sort of say, you know what, this UFO list, um, you're not going to be on it. Sorry, but you've just spent the last month um, calling these eight people names because they disagree with you. You're gone. You know, you have to clean house. It's like the Aegean stable. So you yeah. need somebody to go in and clean the house. Never happen because people don't have the will for it. People don't have the stomach for it. And frankly, a lot of people don't think it needs to be done. They don't agree with me. They think things are fine as they are. Well, if what you want is a talking shop where friends can get together and uh, converse about UFOs and stuff, and you can all make yourself feel good and important, great. That's what you've got. If you actually want to make some effort towards solving the UFO riddle, as it were, then you need to restructure things. And, you know, there's an awful lot of people, Tim, who will listen to this who will not like what I just said. That's fine. Yeah, you know, I'll give you a chance to say whatever you want. I don't really care. I know. That's why I like Tim Denall. You'll have, you'll have an ex, this season, I'm sure you'll have an exopolitics person on putting their thing forward. And, you know, frankly, all I can ask of people is listen to the two. If it's me versus an exopolitics person, you know, two sides. And which one makes more sense? And if you think they do, great. Good luck. But I, I think most people listening would think that 
to some degree or another, I'm making sense. You know why? Because that's the way the rest of the world is ordered. You know, anytime you make an advance, anytime a field is put together, anytime people do things, there there is a need for a methodology for structure. And I'm sorry, the internet isn't it. Um, the internet can help, but just being in an internet chat group doesn't make you a researcher intent on solving the UFO problem or question or whatever you want to call it. So do you think the uh, if there ever is an ultimate answer to this, it's, it's obviously going to have to come out from outside of the UFO field. Maybe it'll be discovered by accident or something or, or you know, yes. something like that. Absolutely. I think it'll be discovered by people other than the people who are researching into UFOs now. With And I'll add a caveat to that. The answers, as Brad Sparks suggested, may still be in government files like Project Blue Book that we haven't looked at yet yep. or that haven't really been vetted yet. Might That might be. If UFOs really are here and they're – well, UFOs exist. But if they are aliens and they're really here, for instance, then yeah, sure. Maybe someday they will land on the White House lawn, or they will make themselves known um, in a broad sense, in which case it will be discovered by someone other than ufologists, meaning the aliens will reveal themselves. could happen. I think one of the huge mistakes ufology has made over the years, and it's more of a mistake of omission as opposed to commission, mm-hmm. it's, it's something they haven't done and should have done, is they should, should have and should still tie themselves as closely as they can to the effort to explore space by us. Yeah. Because if you really want to find out if there's life out there, and even if it's coming here, we should be getting out there. So I wrote a blog thing about a year ago saying kudos to President Bush for announcing that a, a concrete plan to get to the moon and Mars. Yeah. I don't care why he's doing it. I don't I don't care. It's, it needs to be done. Yeah. We spent 40 years dicking about in the atmosphere, flying shuttles around and building, building space stations that don't really do a lot. I mean, we were on the moon 40 years ago almost. Where have, what have we done since? You yeah. want to talk about a lack of progress. Yeah. So ufology should, and I, with this symposium I'm doing, yeah, I've got Stan in. What's Stan talking about? Stan's not talking about the cosmic water gate. Stan's not talking about Roswell. I specifically asked Stan to talk about flying saucers and physics. Yeah. How can you travel between stars? Either them or us. Let's talk about because, Stan, that's what you began your career doing. And Stan jumped at the chance. Stan, I think, outside of his publicity uh, campaign and getting people interested in UFOs, I think his other primary contribution to ufology was early on in his career when he was talking, writing papers like The Physics of Flying Saucers, because that's what Stan did. He worked on advanced nuclear propulsion systems. He knows something about what he's talking about. Great. So Stan will be speaking about that. I'll have Robert Zimmerman who wrote uh, Leaving Space. Arthur Clarke called it, I think, I paraphrase here, but the most comprehensive uh, history of NASA and space exploration ever. Words to that effect, anyway. So Arthur Clarke. Zimmerman, great space historian, great writer, and he'll be there, and he won't be talking about UFOs at all. He'll be talking about space stories, the history of our guys going up there to explore. And I think ufology could really benefit from trying to link itself to that movement not necessarily the peace movement, but that movement. Let's get us off of this little rock and get out to Mars. You want to know if there's life on Mars? Uh, a great way to find out is to go. You know, And now there's a little robot that can travel five miles by five miles. Let's get there ourselves. Let's get a colony or a space station on the moon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And ufologists 
uh, with whatever credit or credibility they might have, should be part of the chorus that is, is saying, look, we want to go out there. The best way to find out if there is anything out there uh, is for us to get out there, too. Um, and you never, hear, you never really hear that from them, and maybe it wouldn't do any good if they did. Um, maybe no one would listen to them, because there's a lot of other people far, um, which have far greater public profiles that are saying the same thing. But every little bit helps. So, and I think they they win over some converts if they were seen to be part of that movement. So, and but instead, when I said good kudos President Bush, I got labeled by one guy as a Christo fascist lapdog of the imperialist warmonger Bush or whatever. Of course, you know you can hate Bush for the Iraq War if you want, but nobody's pure evil. Not everybody does everything wrong. Even Bush, if you hate him, you should be willing to say, you know what. He was wrong about all this other stuff, but the space thing, he's right about that. Yeah. So check for that, X for all the other stuff. But, you know, so many people, it's so polarized these days, they can't see the good as well as the bad. And um, they assume that if you say something good about somebody like Bush, you're obviously a Bushbacker. And, uh, you know, I'm not. I just agree with some of his policies and disagree with others. Exactly. And the same thing. Tim, that's how ufology should be. You disagree with some things, you disagree with others, but you know, just because you disagree with, say, Roswell, doesn't make you a debunker or an evil person. It just yeah. means you disagree with Roswell, but you might agree with RB-47. The point should be, do you think that the exploration of space is worthwhile? Yes, good. Then kudos to President Bush, no matter what you think about him on other policies. Do you think that the serious study of the UFO phenomenon is worthwhile? Yes. Fine. You might disagree with Stan Friedman over Roswell. You might disagree with me over RB47. But we all agree on the forest. Mm -hmm. That's that's what people should be focusing on. But they don't. They just keep hitting trees. One uh, last aspect of ufology I want to talk to you about before we move on to some of the other stuff is uh, the overarching sort of conspiracy aspect to the field that's gotten even bigger over the last 20 years or so. Probably since the Condon Report, like you said, how everything sort of chilled after that. Mm -hmm. The sort of is also that catch-all that a lot of people use, that there is a conspiracy, like Stan says, the, the cosmic Watergate. Yeah. Um, now, you're not a big believer in, in some sort of uh, big cover-up? No. And you think that that is part of the problem within ufology? I don't want to do the leading question like you criticized earlier. Bad, Tim, yeah, bad. Yeah. No. But, you, uh, must be, you must be drummed out of ufology immediately. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Cosmic Watergate, uh, and no, I um, I don't think it exists. And people, again, misinterpret that. Whenever anybody says there's no grand overarching conspiracy, they say you're a debunker or you're just ignoring the truth. Here's what I mean. Is the government covering up, if you will, or not releasing all information pertaining to UFOs? Yes. I don't think anybody can look at the facts and dispute that. Yeah. The question is, what conclusion do you draw from that? Does that mean that there is some majestic 12-like organization that's covering up crashed alien bodies and flying saucers and all that sort of stuff? Or does it just mean that for whatever reason, some of which might be simple bureaucratic inertia, which if you don't believe that exists, you don't understand how it works. Yeah. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with some grand overarching um, cover-up. I fall in the latter group. I've never seen any evidence to convince me that there's an overarching um, plan by the government, like, you know, which government, too? is Are they all in on it? That the United States, which can't seem to get anybody to agree on anything these days, somehow managed to get 200 nations around the earth or whatever to all agree to this prohibition on releasing UFO information because the UFOs have been seen over Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, China, 
uh, Uruguay, yeah. Argentina, are all those countries part of the cover-up? I mean, at some point, you just sort of, like, really, you have to sit back and go, um, like, how big is this thing? And can something be that big? And people will often, defenders of the cosmic Watergate concept, will reference things like the Manhattan Project. And they'll say, well, government can keep secrets. Yes, government can. For a limited period of time, in a very limited circumstance, for a specific purpose, absolutely. Can government keep big, massive secrets across the entire globe that all of these people have seen, including other governments? Can you whip them into shape? No. Not for a second do I believe that. If the United States actually had that kind of power, <laughs> you know, um, I think you wouldn't be seeing a lot of the problems around the world that exist now. I mean, really, if you're if you're the leaders of Iran, and it, they have one of the great UFO cases, the Tehran case in 1976, mm -hmm. I think it's 76, might have been 78, I'm pretty sure it's 76. If you have that sitting somewhere in your archives, you've got reports, you know, say that the pilots of the Iranian jets really did see UFOs or aliens, don't you think the Iranian government would release that? Yeah. I do, yeah. because it would embarrass the American government. They would be able to turn to all their jihadi friends and say, aha, look, the great Satan has lied to you for 50 years, and here we can prove it. And, I mean, great propaganda. Um, maybe not the Iranians. Maybe for religious reasons the Iranian government wouldn't do it, because oh, all of a sudden Islam, well, what do we make of that now? There's, there's other life in the universe. Yeah. I don't know. So, fine, maybe the Uruguayan government releases it. Maybe the Brazilian government releases it. Or China, government, or China. For no other reason, political purposes to embarrass the United States, because if the U.S. has been covering it up, I guarantee you if that information of a cover-up went out there, I don't know if it would bring down the entire structure of the American governmental system. I don't believe it would. But it would certainly um, cause an awful lot of problems. And anything that could cause problems to the United States, if you happen to be a uh, foe or competitor of the U.S., that's a good thing. So they would release that information if they could. I mean, it, the concept of the cosmic Watergate doesn't make logical sense on so many different levels. It's not even funny. But there's also, I've never seen any evidence to prove it. Having said all that, though, government, yes, has not released all the information on UFOs. In some cases, for very good reasons. People sort of roll their eyes sometimes when you say sources and methods. But you do sometimes, especially during the Cold War, want to protect sources and methods, how you gather intelligence. And what people don't understand, they say, well, the Cold War is over. Why would we still want to protect sources and methods? Well, maybe you wouldn't want to protect your sources. Maybe they're not there anymore. But your methods are still maybe something that, in particular instances, you want to protect. So you want to withhold that information. Yeah. I'll give you a good example, though, Tim. I was Stan is often he's famous for holding up NSA documents, blacked out NSA documents. Mm -hmm. Tells the whole story about how he tried. They went to court to get the NSA to release UFO documents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I said, hmm, this is interesting. I'm just going to, on a legal database that has access to all Supreme Court decisions in the United States, most appeal federal or sorry federal appeal cases and state cases from all 50 states, I am going to type in UFO and Freedom of Information. Sure enough, up came the case regarding the um, the uh, UFOs, yeah. the, the NSA. And there was also a CIA case, too. Great. Fine. Now I'm just going to type in Freedom of Information and NSA. I'm going to see how many cases pop up where the National Security Agency has on the exact same grounds, because the UFO guys make it sound as if there's some special circumstance. The NSA must regularly release information on everything else but they never release it to us because UFOs are so super secret. Yeah. Well, I typed it in. Dozens of cases came up, maybe even hundreds. I stopped scrolling through them after a while, including Jane Fonda and Tom Hayden, 
I went after the NSA to get them to release files on Jane Fonda and Tom Hayden when they were anti-war activists. Mm -hmm. So the NSA, as a rule, the NSA blanket just says to everybody, no, 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 yeah. you can't have it. And then everybody, Joan Baez was another one. Joan Baez versus the NSA, I think it was. You know, CIA, same thing. So they say, no, 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 no. Well, it's not, don't feel special, UFO people. <laughs> you know, they t if there's a cosmic Watergate, there's a pop music Watergate. And there's, you know, there's a Watergate for everything. There was the case in the Kennedy assassination, where, by the way, the NSA was ordered by the court to release information. This is hilarious. I, I think I'm going to put this up in my blog under um, I Fought the Law Paranormal Version, Volume 12, or whatever I'm at. Guy wanted, as I recall, to, he went to the NSA and said, I want you to release a memo, not a memo, sorry, a letter written from somebody to somebody. Off the, I think it had something to do with uh, Jack Ruby. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Yeah. The court decision said, the NSA said, no, can't release it. The court went through and said, this information is already in the public domain. It's been published. We know it exists, and it's been published. The NSA was saying, well, we admit that it exists. We just can't admit whether we have a copy of it. And they filed an affidavit to the judge in camera saying, here, you know, as they did with the UFO thing, here's why we can't. And the judge said, this is hogwash. Again, they use sources and methods because, by and large, they just don't want to admit they have anything. And the judge said, this is hogwash. It's already in the public domain. We know it exists. And whatever, you know, there are so many potential sources and methods that foreign spies will never be able to tell from your material where you got it from. So give. But I just thought this is so ludicrous. Um, the NS to hear UFO people say the NSA is just against us. No, they're against everybody. <laughs> that's, that's who they are. So if there's a cosmic Watergate, um, there's a Watergate for everything else. And I think you need to view things like that before you go making grand claims about how the NSA is involved in this massive cover-up of UFO documents or the CIA is. You have to look at it in context of how these agencies operate in terms of everything else. That's what researchers do. But I'm I'm willing to bet, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm willing to bet I'm the only guy who's ever gone and looked to see, well, does the NSA routinely turn down these requests from everybody? Yes. Do everybody routinely take the NSA to court? Yes. You know, do they lose? Usually they do, as the UFO guys did. Usually you don't beat the NSA because there's legislation there that allows them to do this, that sort of skirt around freedom of information. Act uh, request, but sometimes, as was the case with this Kennedy thing, um, the guy did win. But it was so obvious the thing was already in the public domain. Yeah. So, is there a cosmic Watergate? No. There's so many reasons why there isn't a cosmic Watergate. There's no evidence, unless you believe in MJ12 or something like that. Um, there's no evidence out there to show that it exists. It's all supposition, and it's supposition not based on a logical reading of the facts and not based on logic at all, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, for reasons that I've sort of just set out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on a little bit here to uh, ufology and the Internet because you're a prolific blogger. Uh, your blog's amazing. Like I said earlier, it's full of stuff. What do you think of uh, the UFO scene on the Internet? Uh, because, like, you've already referenced numerous times UFO updates. That seems to be the big stomping ground of ufologists uh, as far as where they hang out on the Internet now. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think of that as a social as a social scene, and 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 and, and as far as forwarding the, the serious study of UFOs, as you call it? Um, it's like anything else with ufology, wheat and chaff. 
so much chaff, very little wheat. Yeah. But there is wheat there. Um, the current sort of brouhaha over Jesse Marcel Jr., which by the time you air this might seem uh, sort of what? Yeah. But if you go back to uh, UFO updates for August of 2006 and just check that month's archives, you'll see what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is useless. doesn't really, I don't think, move anything forward. It's just a bunch of people talking to hear themselves talk. Honestly, that's what I believe. Um, But there have been threads on UFO updates. If you're willing to search over the years, you can glean important information or important discussions at least. So uh, UFO updates is a valuable resource. I think UFO updates is compromised by the fact that some of those people I call as the attack dogs of ufology are also members. And again, if you come up and say something that they don't agree with, they'll smear you on UFO updates. And the moderator, Errol Bruce Snap, who's a very nice guy, um, does have a couple of guys that I think he should, you know, hold the whip hand a little tighter with and sort of delete some of their posts, but he doesn't because they're friends. And then it's fine, you know, it's his list. He can do whatever he wants. But my criticisms aside, UFO updates, uh, which you can get to by going to www.virtuallystrange.net and then follow the links to updates. Mm-hmm. Useful resource for your listeners if they haven't gone there. Yeah. There are other ones. The Project Blue Book Archive is uh, is definitely one of those resources. And if you want to do real first-hand research into the UFO phenomenon, good place to go. If you just want to have some fun and just, you know, sort of see if you're a person who likes history, you know, the kind of person who likes walking into old churches, not because you're religious, but you just want to feel the history, go to the Blue Book Archive and just look at some of the old documents because that's real history. Um so, yeah, there are resources like that out there. There are some good blogs. Um, Stuart Miller, a friend of mine in the United Kingdom uh, with UFO Review, yep, yep. It's, a, it's a good resource. Some of the information he puts up there is goofy. Some of it's not. It's up to people to decide for themselves which is which. The Anomalist is another one. More, you know, it's not just UFOs, either of them. They're sort of paranormal in general. Yep. But, you know, you, that's those are two good places to go. Daily Grail is another to find sort of the headlines of the day of what's going on out there. Um, so from a news point of view, those are good places to go. Stewart also has an online magazine, UFO Review, which is a which is a good read. He publishes it every second month and usually about 100 pages. So there are places out there where you can find information. And as with the Project Blue Book Archive, places where you can actually see real documents, do real research, never have to leave the sanctity of your home. Um, the FBI website, the CIA website, um, some government resources, Canada, the National Archives in Canada, uh, has a, a website, not devoted to UFOs, but within the National Archives pages, lists all the resources, like here's all where the UFO material is at the National Archives, and then offers, if you ever want to go to the archives in Ottawa and research, you don't have to look very far, it'll tell you where you need to look. Oh, that's, that's great. Cool great resource, but it also provides synopses of Canadian UFO history and stuff. That's another uh, another good resource, uh, re- researching resource. Now, having said that, oh, here we go. most of the stuff on the UFO, like most UFO films, like most everything, is crap. Um, and it really sort of, you know, people get drawn off into different sort of areas. A lot of it's just non-discriminatory. You'll see, for instance, a person who will put up every single headline, every single blog article, everything that's written about UFOs. They'll have this blog. They'll just put it all up there. And 
you know, great, fine. Uh, to me, that's lazy. Take the time to actually look at them and say, well, you know what? Uh, and and people will look at me and say, oh, you want to censor information? Yes. <laughs> you know, I want to censor the bad stuff. Not in the sense that government censors, you know, evil censorship, but just like, you know, it's my website. I am going to decide not to put that up there because I think it's goofy. Yeah. So if you you are responsible for whatever you put up on your website, if you link to something, you cannot duck responsibility for whatever it says by simply saying, well, I'm just putting everything out there and you people can decide for yourself. You know, that's true. People can decide for themselves. But I think you will become associated with that material and you can issue all the disclaimers you want, but I don't think that does any good. It's one of the big problems I have with Jeff Rents. Mm-hmm. He issues his disclaimers, and then he puts neo-Nazis, anti-Semites, Holocaust deniers galore on his website and on his radio show. So Stan Friedman might be on one night, followed by Mark Weber of the Institute for Historical Review the next night, saying the Holocaust is all a, a bunch of uh, bunk. And and I think, you know, Rents then says, well, I'm just putting information out there. Well, No. You are responsible sometimes for the information you put out there. So, And there are people who disagree with me about that, and that's fine, too. Yeah. But I have a different view on it. So, But a lot of stuff you're going to read on the Internet about UFOs is crap. I mean, it's just not worth the time of day to read, some of which you'll find at my blog. <laughs> so there are columns that I'm going to write that you're probably going to go, eh, crap. And you're probably right. Some of them are. The trick is, as with anything else, with any research into any subject, uh, on the face of the earth, whether it's esoteric, paranormal, historical, whatever, political, is to really, you know, keep a critical mind and be able to quickly say, nope, 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 yes, that's one of the ones I want to read. That's good. And my advice on how to do that would be to say if a person who's offering an opinion offers sources for that opinion, that's a good start. Yeah. Then check the sources. Are they working from primary documents or primary sources? That's the best. At least then you know that they've looked at the actual material. Or are they just referencing somebody else's opinion? Well, that's okay if the somebody else's opinion has referenced primary sources. I mean, it's like cloning. Every time you move further away from primary resources, your clone becomes weaker. Yeah. And I think that's often what happens on, on UFO websites and UFO um, opinion sites and everything, they move consistently away from the primary sources to the point where they stop referencing them altogether at some point. And, I, you know, those are the kind of resources. Yeah, you can read them if you want, but they're they're not very useful. But there is good stuff there on the Internet. It, you know, you just have to take your time to sort it out. One of the good things is Internet radio. Coast to Coast is a good example, but so has been all of America. Yes. I listen to most of your uh, your podcasts from season one. Obviously, if you've listened to this one, you'll know I don't agree with a lot of those people. Yep, Alfred yep. Weber, Stephen Bassett, you'll Richard Dolan. You'll know that there are other people that you interviewed that I do agree with, at least on a number of things, like Stan Friedman and James Gutman. But yeah. That had nothing to do with UFOs. I just happen to be a pro wrestling junkie, like Gutman is. Um, but that's fine. You know, if you don't want to listen to an interview with Alfred Weber, just don't tune in. Yeah. I tuned in because I wanted to see what the guy had to say. I didn't buy any of it. But, you know, you need to be discriminating about that stuff. But I have no problem with people putting things out there like you do, Um, you know, as long as they're not like Rents does, anti-Semitic Holocaust deniers. But to my knowledge, you've never had any of those on the North America. No, we don't have anybody like that. Um, You know, you do have to be careful about that stuff. But within the realm of reasonable opinion that, 
that people can disagree on, sure, the more the merrier, and then let people decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how the Internet, I somewhere in there, and I'm sure my critics will listen to this and go, Kimball just contradicted himself. Don't do this, but then do this. And the end result of it is you put it all out there, let the people decide, as long as it's not inflammatory material or the kind of stuff rent spews. It's really a rent thing for me. But the Internet is changing the way information is being delivered to people. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's going to change my industry within 10 years. It already is. But it's going to change the way the film and television industry works um, massively, the way information is delivered to people. So when I wrote my little thing about you and I said, look, you know, Benal's on the cutting edge and he's part of that group of people that are changing the way UFO information is delivered to people, it is. Because podcasting, and other people besides you are doing it. Um, imagine my surprise when I learned that, but I thought it was just you. Let's um, not talk about those other people. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> competitors. You're the best, of course. Uh, podcasting, things like forums, which you have on your website, but there are so, UFO Planets, another one I um, belong to, the Coast to Coast Forum that the Streamlinkers are in. I'm in, the, in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you getting real research out of those things? Probably not. Are you getting people sharing opinions, a conversation going on? Yes. Is that useful? Yes. Is it going to solve the UFO question? No, but it's useful for other purposes. Yeah. You know, a guy like me might want to go on and try and convince people of something, or I might say, look, study the RB47 case. Other people will argue about the extra-dimensional theory. Great. All of that has a certain use. It needs to be divorced, or at least differentiated, from serious UFO research. But again, they are the readers. At the end of the day, they matter, too. Because if you're a historian writing books and nobody's reading them, well, what's the point? Mm-hmm. If you're a scientist, science writer like Sagan writing books and nobody's reading them, what's the point? Well, yes, the you know the sake of doing it, I suppose, is the point. But at the end of the day, it's also about getting that information out to people. Internet's changing it all, and uh, for good and ill, the the challenge for people is to make sure it's good, not ill. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, I think I think you are, Tim. I think you're sort of on the cutting edge of that. Oh, stop. You, well, you, were, <laughs> you were one of the first guys to create a website. It's relatively easy to do. I know you might disagree, but it, it, it's not easy to do well. But it's relatively easy to get a website up there and to do podcasts and things like that. It's not as easy to pick the right people to talk to, to conduct a, a decent interview, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes an awful lot of time and effort, as I'm yeah. sure you could tell anyone who's going to uh, going to take something like that on. Mm-hmm. It's very Friedman-esque in a way. A lot of time and effort, maybe not a lot of reward. Um, but the reward comes from doing it. And like I said, my own industry, you know, you are, I'm repeating myself again, but you are on the cutting edge in the sense that soon we'll be delivering our content, it, we already are to some degree, via the Internet. Yeah. I went to a reunion of my old friends from high school, 20-year reunion, of a group of six of us, and uh, all they could talk about, everyone, and these aren't techies, these aren't guys, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, everything, have you seen this on YouTube? I went, uh, YouTube? I never look at YouTube. What what the heck are you talking about? I mean, I knew what it was, but, and and that to me was an eye-opener. Here are guys that are not computer scientists, they're, they're insured, or, and one's an accountant, one sells furniture, although he has a master's degree in astrophysics, go figure. Um, another one's a lawyer slash um, legal editor, but they all know YouTube. And they all get information from YouTube and watch things on YouTube. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think that you're seeing UFO videos wind up on YouTube, mm-hmm. most of which just immediately you can write off as being fake. 
but maybe one or two or three of them will pop up that are worthy of, you know, some serious study. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're Joe Blow out in the middle of uh, Timbuktu and you get some video of a UFO, you don't have to call NBC or CBC or CBS or whatever. Yeah. You can stick it on the Internet yourself. And eventually the meme will travel, the information will travel, and people will see it. So, yeah, the mainstream media is taking a hit and the Internet's taking over. At some point, the Internet will become like the mainstream media. Never underestimate the ability, as you've seen with the music industry, yeah. for people to put the smack down on do-it-yourself guys and sort of corporatize the entire thing. So out goes Napster, in comes people buying songs off the Internet for 99 cents a song or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's fine. You know, eventually everything needs a structure. And that's eventually where the uh, the, the Internet's going to go, too. Um, but I just think it's such a radical altering in how information is delivered and how accessible it is that it might be it might be truly a paradigm shift in terms of information delivery. Um, and you're you're right there. You're one of the guys who are in your own small way making that happen within your own small field, which is ufology or paranormal, to be more precise, esoterica. Uh, so good for you. Well, thanks. Um, Although you might want to edit some of that out because that was rather long-winded. Although if you divide this up into a two-episode show. This is going to be a two-episode show. Don't you no, worry about that. There you go. One guy I wanted you to talk about because you uh, you quote him and reference him a lot on your blog, and he's sort of uh, he's pretty well known to the UFO hardcores, but he's not as well known to I guess the uh, the internet UFO folks in a sense because he's sort of a luddite. Uh, that would be Jim Mosley. <laughs> well, Mosley's been doing it longer than Stan has, which is probably all you need to know. Yeah, he's been doing it differently than what Stan's been doing, although they were both, they were two of the big names on the speaker circuit back when the college speaking circuit was really going in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, but Mosley admits in his book, he said Stan was better at it than I was, so he got more booking. But I've never met Jim Mosley. I've talked to him on the phone. We've corresponded at some length over the last two years. I've read his saucer smear online for years. Now I'm a non-subscriber. He, he sort of made me a non-subscriber which is um, quite an honor. Uh, he's a skeptic. There's no question about it, but so am I. So are most people, I think, in ufology. But in his most recent issue of Saucer Smear, he made a point of saying, I'm not a skeptic, I'm not a debunker. Uh, he meant skeptic in a different way than I do, yeah. in the way that some people use skeptic to mean debunker. Yes, yeah, a slur he, almost. Uh, he, he is skeptical, certainly, about the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I think Mosley is more of an extra-dimensional guy, um, from what I can figure from his writings. But he, he's gone on from being a guy who did research into the UFO phenomenon, and he, in the early 50s, did a lot of first-hand research, which a lot of people don't know, into UFOs. He, on the Aztec case, for instance, interviewed directly Frank Scully, personally, the guy who wrote the book, Behind the Flying Saucers. I believe he interviewed Silas Newton, who was the con man who put it all together. I'm trying to remember his book, Shockingly Close to the Truth. I'm pretty sure he interviewed Newton. Uh, he talked to George Adamski, interviewed George Adamski, a lot of the contactees. So Mosley did a lot of first-hand research um, back in the 1950s. Sort of got out of that in the 1960s, and then ever since he's become the court jester of ufology. Yeah. And I think that's because he said, look, you know, we're probably never going to solve the UFO mystery, whatever it is. And what interests me even more 
are the people who are involved yes. in ufology, mm -hmm. in, the, in UFOs. So guys like Stan Friedman, that's what interests me almost more than, than whether aliens are coming here or not, because I can actually study Stan Friedman. You know, I can't actually talk to an alien. Yeah. So Mosley has become notorious or famous within ufology, depending on who you talk to. He is an acquired taste. Um, some people hate him, really, you know, hate him. Other people, you know, read him, probably would never admit it, and claim to hate him. Uh, and then there's a, a fairly large group of us, I think, who have quite a deal of, a good deal of respect for Mosley and his work and the fact that he has a sense of humor. Yeah. Because one thing ufology is sometimes, Kevin Randall has pointed this out to me over and over again. You should see the outtakes in my interviews with Randall. Someday I'm going to put a bonus materials on a DVD of a film that Randall's appeared in, one of mine. So either Stan Friedman or the new Fields of Fear film. And I'll, it'll be an hour of Kevin Randall outtakes where he complains about ufology not having a sense of humor, and then he demonstrates why he does. And he's a very funny man, um, and he likes to make fun not only of other ufologists but himself. And I think that's that's one of the great reasons why I respect Randall so much and like him so much. Any chance I get to talk to the man is is a pleasure because he, he gets it. He has a sense of wonder about UFOs. He also has a sense of humor about ufology. And he understands that the two can somehow can be different, that you can laugh at yourself. It's important to laugh at yourself. Poke holes in the egos. Um, prick the balloon, if you will. Yes. Mosley, even more so. Sometimes Mosley can do it in a slightly more spiteful way, or it seems spiteful, but I don't think so. I think Mosley really has a, a pretty decent heart and a pretty good sense of humor. And the people that he's, he's ticked off over the years are people who have a pretty sizable ego and don't like don't like it when people make fun of them. Yeah. And, you know, you can read Saucer Smear and find out who those people are. Yeah. I'm not going to name them. <laughs> but it should be fairly obvious. Um, although I will say this. One guy that Mosley has had an ongoing sort of hate relationship with for decades is Dick Hall, mm -hmm. author of the UFO Evidence, Volumes 1 and 2. I like both of them equally. I have a great deal of respect for Dick Hall. I've met him. I've interviewed him. Uh, corresponded with him. I think he's a wonderful man. I think he's done very good work. I think, you know, society as a whole hasn't rewarded Dick. He's fallen on hard times. Um, I think it was because of the Enron thing, you know, yeah. not the way you'd want to end your life or career. Mm -hmm. And so Dick Hall, to me, one of the 10 great ufologists of all time. And I did a little list of my 10 greatest ufologists. Jim Mosley was right next to Dick Hall on that list. Neither one of them would probably agree with me putting the other one on because they just don't get along. But I would exempt Dick Hall from my list of people with big egos that don't like Jim Mosley just because I think with them it's more of a personal thing yeah. if you read their books, some of the things they went through in their early years together because they've both been around for so long. Everybody else, though, that hates Mosley, I think it's all ego. Mm -hmm. I think they just have totally lacking in the sense of humor and really a sense of wonder, too. So many people within ufology, yes, it should be taken seriously. Absolutely, I'm an advocate of that. But if you talk to people, astronauts or scientists with SETI or scientists who work with NASA, who work with, you know, that kind of stuff where we're going out there or we're listening to people maybe who are coming, you know, signals coming here, they always sound like they have a sense of wonder about it. Like, it's fun. They enjoy it. Seth Shostak, you put him on the radio, whether you like him or not, what he's saying, the guy sounds like he's genuinely having fun with his life. He enjoys his work. 
with a lot of people in ufology, because it becomes so personal and there's so many egos involved, it's, it sounds like they're being tortured by the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. Like these are unhappy people. Yeah. And, I'm, and so I rub some of them the wrong way because I'm not an unhappy person. I have a sense of humor. Stan is not an unhappy person. He has a sense of humor. You know, I'd like to put some of Stan's jokes, you know, although his are more of the sort of 50s cat skills kind of thing. Um, <laughs> the humor that doesn't translate to the Eddie Murphy generation or whatever, whoever's hot these days. Um, but, you know, he has a sense of humor, too. And so about himself as well. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of people I like, I get along with, I respect because they see, again, the big picture. And part of that big picture is a sense of humor. Mosley's one of them, too. Yeah. Unfortunately, ufology has so many people who just are humorless, truly and utterly humorless. And, you know, I feel sorry for them. I really do. Because, uh, and they're going to go, oh, we don't need Kimball to feel sorry for us. How dare he? That's insulting. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, in a good way, guys, I feel sorry for you because life's fun. And it just doesn't sound, you fall in, UFOs should be fun. Mm-hmm. Serious, but fun. Yeah. And it just doesn't sound like you're having any fun. And that's, that's a shame, frankly. So there you go. All right. This is the last sort of overarching big picture question. Talking about your blog post that talked about me. Let's not talk about me this time, though. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but as far as the future of ufology goes and how, what was the age cutoff on that? Um, anyone under 50. Yeah. Let's uh, see. There, there's, there's the root of what the question really is all about. Under 50 to be the future of ufology, that's kind of scary. Uh, why do you think there is this, this total lack of young people getting into the field of ufology nowadays? Um, I'll go with a couple of different tacks there. One is, I will point out in my top ten list, besides, oh, I think MJ-12 is coming for me. Oh, boy. Oh, wait, no, MJ-12 doesn't use sirens. Good, good, I'm all right then. Um, you know, I'll point out you, but also Mac Tonys, who's only 30, mm-hmm. Will Wise, who's on my list, he's only 36, uh, Nick Redfern just turned 40. I mean, those are, th- that's still young. Yeah. So there were people on that list who, Nick Pope. Uh, much to my surprise, I always thought he was older. I think Nick Pope is only 41 or 42, um, and he was at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, good youngish people. You and Mac are certainly, definitely within the realm of young. Anyone under 30 or at 30 is still young. Nice. So there are people like that, but there aren't very many. Yeah. To be honest with you, and I actually had to sort of strain to think of a few people. Oh, John Greenwald is another guy I should mention too. Mm-hmm. He's still in his 20s. Um, why? Ask yourself a question, Tim. If you're a young, oh, I don't know, let me think here, physics student, say you're in your third year of an undergrad program in physics, and there's so many things you can do with your life and and pay attention to and get involved in, is UFO or ufology really going to be one of the first things you think about? I don't think so. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think we've already covered some yeah. of them. Because if you come in and you are skeptical and you're one of those A, B, C, D, E, or the provable things kind of guys, then you're going to get it. You're going to get it from the attack dogs. And if that's not enough to turn you off, and it would be for most people, but say you, you know, you get thick skin, you don't care, onward and upward. Well, then guess who else you're going to get it from? You're going to get it from the egos, yeah. any of whom you can see at UFO updates. There are people one or two of whom contribute to your website who have stated publicly they won't post at UFO updates because they're intimidated. Words to that effect. Mm-hmm. I think, and they're young people, by the way. Leslie is one of them. Yeah. I think that's 
A, ridiculous. I think Leslie should feel free to post if she wants. But B, I think that's, a, you know, I don't blame her. That's yeah. Because if you put something out there, there's a reasonably good chance that even if you say it's stupid, say it's a silly question, you know, and uh, yeah, you should have known the answer to that maybe if you'd done a bit more research. Well, life's short. Can't research everything. Yeah. Instead of somebody saying, interesting question, a lot of this has been covered before, person X, um, here's five places you can look, you know, take a look, and then come back and let me know what you think. Instead of saying that, what they'll say is, hmm, we obviously don't know what you're talking about. We've been studying UFOs for 30 years, 40 years. This was discussed 20 years ago. Like, oh, you knew people coming in, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, good grief. It's like dinosaurs. And, and that is not the way to encourage young people to come and take an interest in the field, to turn around and, I paraphrase, basically say, you don't know what you're talking about, don't offer an opinion until you've spent 10 or 20 years like we have in the trenches. Yeah. Well, I mean, screw you, <laughs> what most young people would say when faced with that. Yeah. I remember what it was like to be young. I'm not that old now. Like, if somebody had told me that, I would have said, well, okay, blow. <laughs> like, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with your stupid little website or whatever. And believe me, not everybody, UFO updates, I'm not picking on updates. It's yeah, like yeah. That. But a lot of the so-called mavens of ufology can come across that way. And some of them, sometimes it's, it's just the way they are, but they don't really mean it. And other ones, it really, they do mean it. <laughs> they, like, go away. Yeah. And it, it almost becomes, here you have a field of study. Let's let's assume that everything I've said about ufology is wrong. It's legitimate. It's a field of study, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's basically an old boys network. Mm -hmm. it, is it is cutting edge material. UFOs. Say you believe in the ETH or that's the way you want to go. So alien spacecraft coming here. Nothing more cutting edge than that. Yeah. And yet the way they go about dealing with people makes it sound like a bunch sometimes of late 19th century Victorian imperialists sitting in a drawing room somewhere in London going, yes, women, oh, can't allow them in here. Colonials, can't allow them in here. Ooh, the colored types, mustn't allow them in here. Now remember, for anyone who says, Paul just said colored types, <laughs> I'm now I'm working in the voice of a late 19th century colonial. Yes. But that's the attitude, you know, only us. We white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males in the old days, but now it's, you know, usually we white Anglo-Saxon Protestant slash Catholic, whatever, religion doesn't really matter, yeah. um, men, because the vast majority, you'll note there's no women on my list. Uh, if you put a list of top ufologists, period, together, say the top 100, the vast majority would be men. Mm -hmm. um, there seems to be sort of a very much an old boys click slash attitude amongst many of them. And it turns, I think, young people off, and I've also, I think it turns women off, um, just the viciousness of the fighting. And I know a couple of women, my fiance is one of them, she looks at some of these things that are posted about me and she says, are you nuts? Yeah. Like, how do you put up with this? I would never do this. Yeah. And I think most reasonable, rational, rational people, and young people are reasonable and rational usually, and women are usually, they look at that and they go, ah, you know, like, forget it. So I think the problem lies with ufology and ufologists, and I don't think it lies with the people on the other end, meaning the young people. Yeah. Or, and again, I think you should look at why there aren't more women in ufology. Mm -hmm. And that's another very interesting question that I admit I haven't really looked into in any sort of in-depth way. 
but I suspect the reasons are the same as the reasons I, I think exist for young people. And, uh, and that's a shame. You know, it's a real shame because guys like Stan and Dick Hall aren't getting any younger. Yeah. And eventually, if you don't have people coming up, you know, like a significant number of people coming up to replace them, then the whole thing will just sort of die away. And if you don't believe that it can, take my word for it, it can and it will. Other things have as well. Um, you might still have a little niche somewhere, but people will move on to other things. Big band music is a perfect example. Yeah, big band music was big. That's why they called it big band. Not really, but, you know, it was big, big band. And you might hear it now. Yeah, it's sort of shown a bit of revival with some of the uh, guys like Matt Dusk and uh, Michael Bublé and those guys. But it's still a fringe area of the general music industry because rock and roll came along. And big band music seems stuffy to people. It seemed formulaic. It was tough to get into, however you want to phrase it. Rock and roll, hey, anybody can play rock and roll. It's edgy. It's it's new. It's revolutionary. Well, ufology is big band music. And if it's not careful, there's a very good chance that rock and roll is going to come along. And all of a sudden, nobody's going to give a rat's behind about UFOs anymore. Or very, very few people. I mean, if you think it's a fringe now, it'll really be a fringe then. I think it's already moving in that direction. I think, really, it's it's moving in that direction. Now, some of the things that replace it will be paranormal. I'm not saying people will move away from the paranormal, but it will not be UFOs. And I've written columns about this. You want to know what rock and roll is? It's Wicca. And that kind of stuff, which I consider paranormal. Yeah. You go into a bookstore. I did this. I yeah, wrote a little column I about mean, it. Yeah. Seven or eight shelves of Wicca, tarot, you know, all that sort of stuff. And there's the... Ten years ago, you, there were UFO books there, a lot of them. Now, it's one teeny little half of the shelf here in Halifax, at least, in the bookstores. And most of the books are by Zechariah Sitchin, which I don't really consider ufology anyway. There's, there, the last time I looked, there was one book by Jerry Clark, um, Strange Skies, and Stan Friedman's new release of Do You Believe? Not Sorry, not Do You Believe in Magic. Top Secret, Top Magic. Secret Magic. I think there were one or two other books there, Don Ledger's book on the Shag Harbor incident. That's it. Yeah. Go into a university library. I did this in Halifax. There's uh, five, four, four universities in Halifax, but the NovaNet system extends throughout Nova Scotia, like more universities per capita here than anywhere else in Canada. And you can look, type in UFO, flying saucer, any of that stuff. There's a blog column on this, almost nothing. Type in witchcraft, more books on witchcraft in the university library. Yeah. And then type in things like astronomy and, and, and serious scientific things, and obviously thousands, hundreds and thousands of books of those things. That's rock and roll, Wicca, tarot, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ufology, big band. And you need to really change that. You need to find a way to make ufology, the study of UFOs, and again, I, I will differentiate the two, um, for lack of a better word, sexy. Yeah. And I can tell you, one way to do that is to get young people involved and stick them at the forefront. Meaning if you have to put a public face on it, make that public face Nick Redfern. Not that I'm saying Nick is sexy, although Nick's, you know, come hither kind of guy, take my <laughs> word for it. Um, but the less said about what he and I did in Puerto Rico together, the better. Um, but, you know, put Nick Redfern out there, articulate, uh, good-looking, young, relatively young. Put uh, Mac Tonys out there. Mac Tonys has never been on Coast to Coast. That is outrageous. Uh, you get Richard Hoagland on Coast to Coast once a month, seemingly, talking about Mars or whatever. Once Tony's, a week. Yeah, once Tony's week. has written a good book. 
uh, some of which I agree with, most of which I don't, but that doesn't matter. He's articulate, he's bright, uh, he has interesting ideas, and he's 30 years old. He should be the guy that's appearing on Coast to Coast, although radio, but he talks young, too. But Tony should be in documentaries. I'm putting him in best evidence. You know, I made a point of interviewing Mac. There are others. You're one. Uh, Greg Bishop is another. Like, there's young people out there. Those are the guys that should be in UFO films. And guys like Stan, I mean, no disrespect to him at all. Absolutely none. Love him. Tons of great work. But at some point, you become a professor emeritus or a ufologist emeritus or whatever you want to call it. Happens in the real world all the time. Happens in law firms. You reach a retirement age. You step back. Your name's still on the door. You still come into the office and consult every now and then, but you're not the guy going into court. Yeah. You leave that to the younger lawyers. And I think ufology needs to do that. Some of these older folks need to sort of step back into a more advisory consulting role where they welcome the new blood. And they let the new people, they, they don't just let them, they encourage them to come forward and to bring new ideas and to ask questions and to challenge what they've done, meaning the older guys, challenge us. Maybe we got it wrong, Yeah. you know, because 60 years on from 1947, we, meaning the vast majority of people, unless you're a true believer, still don't know what UFOs are. Mm-hmm. Can't explain it. So, obviously, they've done good work. Let's build on the work they've done, but let's take a long-term view and let's involve the next generation, yeah. like Star Trek did. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, you'll still find people who go, the only real Star Trek is Jim Kirk's Star Trek. Even the next generation was, you know, yeah. It was a, was an there's an athlete to them. It was a, an apost an apostasy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there I go trying to use big words. So <laughs> it's horrible. And it's not true. It was just a, it built on the original Star Trek. But then you know, in some ways, the next generation was better, mm-hmm. and in other ways, maybe it wasn't. But you need to sort of step aside at some point and encourage people to come in. They don't do that, and that's the long-winded answer to your question. I think most of the blame lies with the people that are. Exist that have the positions of so-called authority within ufology. Not all of them. There are exceptions, but a lot of them. Yeah, and that's that's truly unfortunate. Why don't you talk a little bit about field of fears? Because uh, when we were talking, set up the interview, you were doing some sound like final work on it. So tell me about field of fears, uh, what it's about, and when it'll be available for people to see. First thing I'll do, Tim, is correct you in the most polite manner I can by saying it's field of fear, not field ah. of fears. The funny thing is, the film is a biography, basically a biography of Fern Belsdale, Canada's leading cattle mutilation investigator. And Fern refers in the film to the film as um, fields, uh, sorry, field of fears. So he does the same thing you do in the film. And I, I just didn't, you know, we were conducting an interview and I wasn't going to correct him. But yeah. the, the film is called Fields of Fear, but he refers to it as Field of Fears. So in the film, go figure. Um, so there'll be many, much confusion about it. It's not a film about cattle mutilations. Okay. In the same way that Stan T. Friedman is not a film about UFOs. Awesome. However, cattle mutilations will obviously make an appearance because mm-hmm. that's what Fern does in the same way that UFOs make an appearance in Stan's film. It's a biography of Fern, who is a fascinating guy. He's in his late 70s now. He's a um, he's walked the walk as well as talked the talk. He spent 50 years as an award-winning cattle rancher. Now, whatever I might think about cattle mutilations or not, I find far more credible a guy like Fern Belzil, who raised cattle, knows cattle, 
respected in his community, and believe me, I've been to his community. I've talked to people. He's very well respected. Yeah. That's a guy I'll listen to as opposed to someone like Linda Moulton Howe, who um, does not have that background. No matter how much research she's done into it, she's not a rancher. So I find Furnamore um, credible say, investigator of the calumnulation phenomenon than the one that most people latch onto, Linda Moulton Howe, who's been doing it for, for 20 years now. Not to say maybe that she hasn't done good work, but I prefer Fern. So the film's about Fern, his life, uh, and also his work, how he got into cattle mutilations, what he thinks of cattle mutilations, and then, of course, cattle mutilations themselves. Mm-hmm. So also appearing in the film as the resident skeptic, and here's a great irony for, for people, is Kevin Randall. Randall believes, obviously, he's convinced UFOs have come to Earth, they're extraterrestrials, because he's one of the leading Roswell proponents. Mm-hmm. So he accepts all of that, but he doesn't think that aliens have been mutilating cattle. So that's an interesting skeptic for me. Yeah. If you put somebody from Psychop on, he would have been easy to dismiss mm-hmm. by the believers. They would have said, ah, Psychop, they hate everybody. Yeah. But here's a guy, he's, he's a UFO ET guy. But he, he doesn't buy the alien explanation for cattle mutilation. Well, that's that's interesting. Carl Flock performed the same role up against Stan in Majestic 12, yeah. in that Carl accepts that UFOs visited Earth. He accepted that they were probably alien spacecraft. He just didn't buy into the cosmic Watergate. So that's where it gets truly interesting in terms of the debate. Nice. Um, who else is in it? Greg Bishop is in it, talking about cattle mutilations. Um, trying to think of ufological people that are also in the, Oh, Nick Redfern, of course. Yeah, Nick's in it. So it's Nick, Kevin, Fern, and Greg Bishop, as well as a number of people from Fern's hometown of St. Paul, Alberta, including the mayor. Awesome. So we have the mayor of St. Paul, Alberta, talking about cattle mutilations in Fern Belleville. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's... Um, I actually like it. Sometimes you finish a film and you go... Eh, you know, I'll wait and see how it does. Yeah. This is one I, you know, I'll, this one I actually like. I, I think it's a fun film. Uh, it takes Fern and cattle mutilation seriously, uh, but you know, maybe not as seriously as as some people would would like. In the sense that it it doesn't go out there and say this is all real and it's some horrible government experiment or aliens or whatever. It leaves the door open at the end of the day. You make up your own mind what you think cattle mutilations might be between. The two explanations, aliens, which is pretty much what Fern thinks it is, and on the other hand, um, predators and scavengers, which is what Kevin says it is. Yes. And um, Fern, one thing about Fern is the, the very interesting thing, and at the end, Greg Bishop really touches on this. Fern will not come out and say he thinks it's aliens. Now, you can glean that from what Fern says about everything else, because he yeah. rules everything else out. Mm-hmm. Ergo, if it's not this, 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 and this, then it's got to be aliens, doesn't it? And he will also say, I think aliens, you know, maybe, probably, possibly, but he will never say specifically, I believe it's aliens. Yeah. That's good. It means he's keeping an open mind, but as Greg points out, it's also very, very smart. Because as soon as you open your mouth and say, Cal are being mutilated by aliens, Greg said, you will lose a large part of your audience who will just dismiss you as a crazy UFO guy. Yeah. Fern, on the other hand, doesn't say that. He just presents the evidence in his lectures. I've seen it. Here are the photos. Here are the alternative theories that I don't agree with, and here's why. Here's the alien theory, which I think might actually hold water for the following reasons. And then you can agree or disagree with them, but it's a a very well-constructed, canny presentation. Yeah. And 
you might not expect that from a guy that I think has a grade nine education and spent most of his time at a, you know, at the cattle farmer. Yeah. But he's very media savvy. He's, uh, he's very articulate when he's talking about cattle mutilations. And as Greg said, I think that's the proper way to go about it, to not be, you know, this is what it is. But say, here's the evidence, decide for yourself. By the way, I think it's probably this based on the evidence, but you make up your own mind. Yeah. And that's, that's really what I think in, in many respects separates Fern again from Linda Moulton Howe. Linda Moulton Howe will go on the radio and tell you what it is. Fern will go on the radio and tell you what he thinks it might be, and here's the evidence, and now make up your own mind. Yeah. He's not going to tell you what to think. Yeah. And uh, I have a great deal of respect for Fern, and he's a he's a super guy. And I really I really do like the film. I'm I'm sort of it'll be airing in, on Space here in Canada in late September. They haven't given me me an exact date yet, but I have to deliver it by the end of this month. And uh, the, the premiere air date is uh, late September, and then it'll air 18 times over four years after that. Um, and in the U.S., hopefully yeah. we'll be able to sell it down into the United States at some point or another, and around the world, too, I would hope. I see. So, so, it's a, so it airs on space in Canada, and then what, do you try to sell it to somebody in America, or are you just, yeah. you're not going to make it available, like, uh, well, through a website or something? For free? Good heavens. No, 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 not, not like that. I mean, like, you can order the DVD through whatever well, yeah. website. Hopefully we'll get a DVD. Um, I know Tim Crawford at UFO Video, sorry, UFO TV. Mm-hmm. Tim's a friend of mine. Um, we've talked about it. I think he's looking for a good film on cattle mutilations, and, and this is, you know, sort of about cattle mutes. I, I think if it's a good film, there'll be lots of bonus material I'll be able to add. Hopefully there'll be a DVD that comes out sometime, you know, early 2007 would be my guess. And uh, if he doesn't, if I don't work with him on it, I'll probably do it myself. So. All right. And uh, what about the other film you're working on, and that is Best Evidence Top 10 UFO Cases? Uh, we talked about that pretty pretty in-depth already. Well, when do you expect that to be, you know, available for people to watch? Yeah, that's funny. What do you mean? The original delivery date for that was May of 2006. Uh, um, I've had extension after extension. I'm still working on it. Uh, it is a film, of all the films I've done on UFOs, and I, I really worked hard on Stan and Fields of Fear. Fields of Fear took a year now to finish. I first left the shoot a year ago. And oh, wow. Um, but Best Evidence is one that I am really working hard to cross the T's, dot the I's, mm-hmm. and and make it a film that will stand out from the others. I think the others have all been good films, but they've been somewhat limited to some degree by their budgets. Yeah. Best Evidence has a bit of a larger budget. It has a major distribution company in the United Kingdom that will be selling it around the world into markets. Mm-hmm. It's already pre-sold into New Zealand. Television TV New Zealand will be airing it. Awesome. In Canada, it's pre-sold to space. That's how we do it. We pre-sell it in Canada and then raise the rest of the money through government. So it is, for me personally, just in terms of my career, it is the film that could take me out of, um, say, the lower class of filmmaking, which is relatively low-budget documentaries, you know, $100,000 to $130,000 films, and move me further up the food chain where I can make... Um, more expensive films, frankly, so I can make more money, to be blunt, yeah. but also so I can make films that have maybe more, uh, not quality, but just bells and whistles, if you will. Yeah. Because if you use the bells and whistles right, then that's a good thing. Exactly. So best evidence, we've got uh, an, an animation company called Wing It here in Halifax that will be doing animated recreations of some of the cases, for instance, 
uh, Wing It, you, you will have seen their work in films such as Superman Begins, Sin City, wow. Day After Tomorrow. They, the guys that work for Wing It have all been involved in elements of the animation that you will see in those films, which is not to say they did all of Superman Begins, but they worked on them. I've seen their work. You know, if you look at their trailer, ooh, that scene from Sin City with Bruce Willis, that was, you know, Wing It. So, a re, you know, really good guys who have agreed to sort of work for a lot less money than they usually would because A, they like the project, and B, they think, as I do, as everyone who's working on this project thinks, because we're all taking less money than we usually would, or at least they are. I'm taking the same amount I usually do, which is close to nothing. Um, you know, they also say, if Paul hits it with this one, then Paul will have an opportunity to make more expensive films, which we can all profit on later. Yeah. So all of these people are working for less money than they normally would for me to try and make the best possible film that we can. And I wanted to be, you know, I spent a year and a half telling people to take UFOs seriously. I wanted to be sort of a film, film type of version of Dick Hall's Best Evidence, Volume 2 kind of thing, where you can give this film to your friends and say, look, as I said earlier in the interview, none of these, none of these little four-minute snippets are going to give you the whole story by any means. But look into these cases. These are ten cases you should look at, and if only one of them raises your eyebrow, then you should take the UFO phenomenon seriously. And if you're a scientist, take it seriously. If you're a politician, take it seriously. Give some money to the, you know, whatever your national scientific foundation is to study UFOs. And I toy with the idea, and I may or may not do it, I don't know. Depends, frankly, on the money because it's not cheap to do. Yeah. But I've often suggested that one way to get people interested would be to send copies of the UFO evidence, Dick's book, or a chapter thereof, yeah. to politicians and scientists and so on and so forth. If I can pull the money together, one of my dreams with best evidence is to be able to put DVDs together, and there is some really, there's stuff that's going to be on this film that people haven't seen before, even about cases that they know of. Yeah. I, I've managed to dredge out some new stuff. Awesome. And... And I will, you know, I really hope to be able to send that, if not if to nobody else, at least all the cabinet ministers in Canada, particularly science and technology, and maybe a few select scientists, and say, look, watch the film, and if you still think you can ignore the UFO phenomenon, then do it. Go ahead. But hopefully at least one or two of you will say, hmm, wait a second now, senior, you know, American Air Force officers and scientists and police officers and radar sightings, you know, like hard evidence, yeah. and all of it coming together at once in these cases, in and out. Wow, wow, maybe I didn't know about this. Maybe I should take a look at it. And so scientists will listen if you present it in the right way. Politicians will listen if you present it in the right way, if you give them the evidence. Not not F through Z, but the A, B, C, D, and E that you can prove. Yeah. And tell them there's something worth looking at here. They'll listen, and with them listening, I honestly believe will come resources to look into it. And that's really what ufology needs. And almost anybody in ufology will tell you that. To conduct a proper investigation, you need money. If for no other reason than to travel. Why aren't witnesses being interviewed as much now as they were 30 years ago? Simple reason. Less money now. Yeah. Those organizations used to have resources. They don't as much anymore. So it's all a cyclical thing, Tim. As interest in ufology wanes, as it becomes more of a big band thing as opposed to rock and roll, then there's less money. Yeah. And when there's less money, that means less serious research. 
with less serious research will come a further diminishment of interest in UFOs. And it goes round and round and round, and it's like a whirlpool, mm -hmm. and it'll suck you down. Yeah. And I think that's where ufology might be heading. I think it might take the serious study of the UFO phenomenon with it. Um, I kind of hope that it's not too late to get the ship out of that whirlpool and back in the ocean heading on the proper course, you know, as I see it. There are other people who see it differently, but I think they're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And uh, when can we expect to get our hands on best evidence? Uh... Oh, right. That was your original question. Sorry. I, I'm evil. Remember, Tim, I'm evil. Um, I hope to have it done by the end of 2006. I hope to actually have it done by November. Because most of the shootings done, I have one or two interviews I have to pick up for a couple of cases. But the animation, you know, doesn't come quickly. It does take a time, oh, a fair bit of time, and it also takes time to edit it and put it together. And I, it really is, it really is sort of like my baby, this, this one. Because it, it has the potential to do things that I've been advocating in other places. And for me to kind of put my money where my mouth is and say, look, I'll create something that can maybe make a difference. And, um, yeah, you know, that sounds maybe, I don't mean to sound like I'm for myself. I am not going to change the world. But I do want to, you know, maybe I can make an incremental change. And that's why when the few people who did say they didn't want to become involved, I just really did say, you know, you don't get it, guys, do you? So screw you. Oh, but to all those other people like Dick Hall, here's, you know, in the film, here's the teaser. Interviewed in the film, Kevin Randall, Dick Hall, Stan Friedman, Brad Sparks, Bruce McAdee, um, let's see, who else did I talk? Mac Tony's got the young guys in there, too. I mean, like, Don Ledger will be interviewed for the film, which might give you an indication of which case might be on the top ten list, mm -hmm. if you know Don's work. So a lot of the best UFO researchers that you're going to find, the big names, they'll all be there, including Dick Hall, who doesn't do interviews really anymore. Unlike the Peter Jennings special, I'm not going to leave these guys on the cutting room floor. Awesome. They'll be in there. You'll be seeing Dick. You'll be seeing Brad, who has never been in film before, as far as I know, but is one of the top researchers out there. Um, Kevin. I might even try and get Carl Flock in there. Um, he's dead, obviously, and a great loss to the serious study of the UFO phenomenon. But I do have material, previous material from other films that Carl was interviewed on, and he commented on certain cases that I, I might be able to get Carl in there, too. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, there's going to be, I mean, it's going to be, a, there's going to be a lot of people in there, and uh, whatever people might think of me, you know, divorce the person from the film. Yeah. And even if you don't like me, you're probably going to want to watch the film. And uh, if you can do it on free TV, I'm not trying to sell you the DVD here. Hopefully, we will have it in the American market, and you'll be able to see it on Sci-Fi or Discovery for free if awesome. you get cable. And uh, and you know, judge for yourself. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else up on the horizon that we should know about uh, that you want to talk about? Uh, no, no. I believe me. I think if your listeners are still listening to him, I probably bored them to death or enraged them. Um, which is a tremendous combination to be able to bore somebody as you're enraging them. So, well, you um, know. so I've, I've, yeah, I've hit everything that I could possibly talk about. Awesome. Well, let, let me throw in the uh, the websites here uh, for all the listeners here who want to check out your writing. Like I said, the blog is amazing. It's got tons of stuff on there. And like you said, uh, it may infuriate you, but hopefully it'll get you to think. Uh, the blog address is redstarfilms.blogspot.com, and the conference is... 2006 New Frontiers Symposium, October 14th, 2006, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And one more time, what's the URL for that? Um, Halifax UFO, H-A-L-I-F-A-X-U-F-O dot com. Awesome. Paul Campbell, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I know I took a ton of your time, and 
Um, we just talked about tons of stuff, but I had a great time talking to you, and you make a lot of very important points about the field of ufology that need to be considered. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down and talk with me for so long. Thanks, Tim. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure, and keep up the good work at Benal of America. That does it for this week's edition of Benal of America Audio. Big, big thanks to Paul Kimball for sitting down and talking to us for so long. He gave us just a ton of time. He's a very busy man, but he took the time to give us the kind of in-depth answers that he knows our listeners are looking for when they check out Benal of America Audio. You can find out more information on Paul Kimball at www.redstarfilms.blogspot.com. That's his blog. He posts there constantly. You can find out more information on him and his thoughts on various aspects of the esoteric there. Also, big thanks to Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Ralph Molesworth, and Joe V. of BenAllOfAmerica.com for your help and support with the audio series. Much of what you hear week in and week out on Ben of America Audio would not be possible without the help and support of these fine folks. The staff of BenAllOfAmerica.com is second to none. I highly recommend you check out BenAllOfAmerica.com to read their columns covering a wide range of esoteric topics. BenAllOfAmerica.com, make it a part of your daily search for esoteric answers and opinion. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. If you're a long-time listener to Ben All of America Audio and you want to help support the audio series, I can't encourage it enough. Click the PayPal button at BenAllOfAmerica.com. Make a donation. Every little bit helps. We would definitely appreciate it, and it would certainly help keep the show running smoothly as it has so far this season. Next week on Ben All of America Audio, it's Dennis Spaulding, co-author of My Search for the Afterlife, A Trail of Clues, it's a decidedly different Ben All of America audio. It's a slightly new sort of topic that we're covering, the afterlife, the search for the afterlife that Dennis Spaulding has undergone. It's an amazing story. We're going to cover it top to bottom and in depth next week on Ben All of America audio, October 21st, 2006. And sometime in the next week or two, we'll also be announcing the slate of guests we have lined up for November and it's going to knock your socks off when you see who we have on tap for you. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Dennis Balding, co-author of My Search for the Afterlife, next week on All of America Audio. You're going to get a little audio preview here coming up at the end of this closeout, so definitely stay tuned for that, and you'll hear a little bit about what Dennis Balding's going to be talking about. Until you hear from me then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. This is Tim Benall, signing off.